I guess I would have assumed that some beef was dairy cow because, you know, you might as well when it's done producing milk, it's still meat at the end of the day, but not the majority of it. Like, um, mm-hmm. especially because like you can you can get a lot more milk out of one cow than you can get beef out of like each cow has exactly one cow worth of meat. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, where... that's accurate. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Talk Ag to Me, the podcast dedicated to improving ag literacy around the globe. I'm your host, Brandon Black, and in today's episode, we're talking about fast food cheeseburgers, of all things. Um, to hear, hear talked about this episode with me is one of my uh, all-time favorite and, and a classic guest that we've had on the show a couple times, and I'm sure that you guys will be excited to hear from again, uh, Joanne from the Turtle Stack. Go ahead and uh, remind everybody who you are, Joanne. I'm Joanne from the Turtle Stack. I, <laughs> I think that pretty much sums it up great. Um yeah, my, my name is Joanne. My podcast is The Turtle Stack. It's kind of just a place where I interview people about random topics that make them happy. Um, Brendan and I have gone back and forth on each other's episodes a few times, and you're always wonderful to talk to as well. So I'm I'm happy to be here today. Awesome. Well, yeah, it's always always a pleasure to have you on. And, and you know, like we talked about before, you're uh, definitely, you know, w- one of the guests that, that I never have a problem having on because you always bring fun topics and and conversations and sometimes some strange questions, but it's always a good time. Um, But yeah, so I think that, uh, so at the time you guys are listening to this this is actually going to be the day before um, a collaboration I did with Joanne on her podcast is coming out. So uh, tomorrow you guys can go hear uh, my monotone voice over talking about animal behavior on her episode. And so yeah, just make sure you go check that out. Um, I want to make sure I got this in because um, there's a possibility that Joanne might be leaving the podcasting community, uh, sometime soon, you know, just life happens. It's understandable. We've had friends in the past that have had to back off of their shows. It's just, it's a, it's a crazy thing to, you know, to manage all at once. So I want to make sure we got her in for at least one more great episode and it doesn't mean it's gonna be the last one, but uh, you know, get, get your voice out there once again. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm in the process of wrapping, wrapping up my own podcast. Um, I'm still going to be available if people reach out to me, but, um, yeah, my own, my own stuff is getting set aside so that I can do some other personal projects. Yeah. And I definitely can't blame you for that. I mean, there are times that I've almost been in in, in the same boat, but besides, you know, besides that getting back on, on the, uh, the, topic at hand. So Joanne reached out to me and said that she had a curious question about cheeseburgers, which if anyone has listened to this podcast before, you know that cheeseburgers are my favorite food of all time. So of course I was interested <laughs> and <laughs> she was curious about what it takes to, for a fast food cheeseburger to exist. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's, that's pretty much the gist of it. Um, you know, it's one of those things where I feel like cheeseburger is one of the most staple classic American foods. But when you actually look at it, it has a lot of different ingredients that I'm assuming come from different types of farms and, you know, different transport processes. And, you know, some of it, like the cheese and the bread need to be processed differently. Like, and yet it all comes together for somewhere between one to $5, depending on the chain, which 
doesn't make sense. (laughs) (laughs) So I was, I was kind of curious how that process comes together and works and what each of those steps actually kind of looks like. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, it's a topic that we've like kind of danced around before on the podcast in terms of like the production chain and like the food supply chain and like how a lot of that stuff works, but we've never like, I've always wanted to have like a specific, you know, real example of a food like milk, for example, and follow that the entire chain through. I think a fast food mm-hmm. cheeseburger is a perfect thing to use, especially because of how many different parts of it need to be produced, you know, in order for it to exist. Perfect. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. I am <laughs> curious for whatever, whatever it is you have to share and teach me about. Awesome. So first of all, just to, you know, get, before we get into that conversation, I'm curious, what is your favorite fast food restaurant? If you have one? Um, I don't know. Like it's, it's really hard to say cause it's different, different places for different moods. Um, mm. I'm a big fan. We have a chain called Culver's in the Midwest, but I don't think it's um, across the country at this point. Um, but they're, they do frozen custard is kind of like their frozen custard is super, super good. <laughs> um, and then, you know, cheeseburgers and salads and chicken meals and stuff like that. Um, and they're just kind of, they're a nice like mid like they're a little bit high quality compared to some of the more traditional fast food places, but they're still cheap and fast. So they're mm-hmm. kind of a nice in-between uh, fast food in my opinion. Um, but yeah, awesome. I mean, I, I like, I like all of them. I, <laughs> <laughs> I am not afraid of fast food restaurants. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I unfortunately have, have a, a fast food addiction myself. Um, I, I've been able to to break out of it a little bit. I've been cooking at home again, but yeah, lately I've been eating fast food quite a bit. So I indulge in all of them. It, like like you said, it kind of depends on the mood I'm in. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a big sucker for McDonald's, even though I know that's like one of the big ones that everyone's like, no, don't go there. But I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I mean, there, there's a reason their slogan is I'm loving it because I am. But no, I, I mean, Wendy's, we, we actually have a fast food restaurant um, in my hometown, Tulare, that's not... It's not like a chain, although there are a couple of restaurants in different parts of California. Um, so I guess you'd say it's like kind of a chain, I guess, but it's not like widespread. It's it's kind of like a little mom and pa like burger stand, um, but it's still considered fast food. It's called Wimpy's, um, which I don't know if you've ever seen the Popeye cartoons. Yeah. So, you know, his, his best friend, Wimpy, who eats cheeseburgers all day. Yeah. Yeah. So it's based off of him. So it's Wimpy's, you know, it's Wimpy's hamburgers. Um and they have the best cheeseburger I've ever had in my entire life. Like I, when I was, when I was still in high school, I used to go there like almost every day. I loved Wimpy's. Like they like knew my order. They knew my name. I just walk in like, Hey, Brandon, you want your usual? I'm like, yep. I would sit down and they give it to me. I would sit there for an hour and eat my food. And I would talk to the employees. It was awesome. That's fantastic. I always wanted a place. I never got one. Like, <laughs> But anytime you're watching like a sitcom and they have a place, I always wanted that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so cool. And I, I miss Wimpy's. I still go every now and then when I visit home, but it's like, it's not the same, you know, like I can't go there every day like I used to. Right, right. But yeah, so anyways, um, so yeah, so we're gonna be talking about how that whole process to create that burger actually happens. So bef- so I'm curious, before I explain the, the general process, what do you think it looks like if you had to guess from start to finish? Like, I honestly don't know, because I would I would believe a lot of different theories. Like one one theory that I have is that different chains have kind of their own farms that they use to produce what they need. And they, you know, basically pay people because they're like, well, we need this much cattle, this much grain, this much 
uh, tomato and they just kind of self supply that way. Like that makes sense to me. Hmm. I could also see, um, you know, that they make deals with local farmers because why ship burgers across the entire country if you don't have to? So the idea that, you know, the hundred McDonald's close to me use a farm in my community you know one cattle farm one grain farm whatever like that makes sense Mm. um you know as far as like the processed foods i would think that they're making them themselves probably like in a factory outside of the restaurant obviously your minimum wage uh back fry cooks are not making cheese or making buns but i'm i'm guessing fast food chains have their own facility that they're processing that stuff, but I, I would also believe that, you know, they're buying craft singles. Like I, I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, that, that there's definitely a lot there. That's some of it is, is more accurate than others, but there, there's a lot there that is understandable, you know, where that's coming from. I mean, like we see on TV, some of that stuff that it, it makes more sense if they did it, like they have like their own farms and they, you know, they did it all themselves. And like, you know, it, it would make more sense from a logical perspective, but there actually is a little bit more of a complex uh, food supply chain that makes a lot of that stuff possible and takes out all of the need for those restaurants to do their own work and to have their own farms and all that. Um, so I think that's kind of the, the, the best first place to start is uh, I'm going to kind of skip your first question and go to your second question, which is they do not have their own farms. Most operations don't. Um, I'll say fast, uh, fast food restaurants specifically don't have their own farms. A lot of uh, like nicer sit down restaurants might, I mean, I know like uh, Harris ranch here in California, they obviously are a restaurant attached to a beef ranch. So like, that's like their whole shtick, but most fast, like your McDonald's, your Wendy's, your, you know, Del Taco, your Burger King, like they're not going to have specific farms dedicated to just producing meat for McDonald's or just producing cheese for McDonald's. Um, they tend to get their resources from, a specific supplier. So it might be Cisco. It might be like, there's some other companies that, that get all of those resources and then sell them to those restaurants. Um, and that's part of that supply chain. So it might be easier before I get too far into this to just kind of break down the supply chain on a basic level first, and then we can kind of go into each part of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Okay. So in its most basic form, because it's going to change depending on what commodity you're talking about, like milk is going to be different than meat. This is going to be different than grapes and like, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but basically it starts with the producer, you know, obviously the farmer, whoever is actually creating that food product, you know, if they're growing it, if they're raising it, if they're, um, you know, the one that's, that's producing the, the calves that are going to go and be fed, you know, and all that kind of stuff, whatever their role is, if they produce the food, then they're the first step of the chain, you know, they're, they're the producer. And then that product then gets transported to the processors. The processor for like meat would be the slaughterhouse. And then, you know, they, they clean the meat and they, you know, clean the carcass and like get all the meat and make the cuts and everything and then package it and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, for like citrus or for like other like fruits, they have like cleaning machines that they use and they detect any like diseases with it so they can throw it out and they measure it by size and like all, all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, if like for like milk, they pasteurize it like that's so like each different, each different product has like a different type of processing, but it goes into the processor and that's kind of like the first step of preparing it for, for food service. Okay. And then it goes to the packager and pretty 
you know, pretty straightforward. That's where the packaging happens. They get put into uh, boxes, you know, plastic containers, um, anything that's going to seal them so they could stay, have a longer shelf life for a certain period of time. So they could either sit in a store or like, you know, be used at a restaurant. Uh, certain places freeze their stuff. So it might get frozen at that location and then transported. And uh, the packagers kind of just like the all around, um, you know, just place where, where products get like, basically if you're not feeding fresh product, the packager is where you're getting, is where it gets sent next. Okay. And then there goes the distributor, which the distributor is like technically not a step, although it kind of is, it's just the midway point between each of these. So like the distributor is like the truck that drives all of that product to the restaurant or drives the product from the farm to the processor, or, you know, it's the middleman that gets things to places. And believe me, it's just as important as anything else. Um, right now we have like a severe uh, shortage of truck drivers and it's causing massive backups in terms of our supply of everything. So the distributor is definitely not something to look over. It is a big part of the processing chain. Yeah. Yeah. We've all, we've all been feeling that in various departments. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and then the final well, technically the second to last uh, step is the retailer. That's your fast food restaurant, your grocery store, your, re- you know, your sit down restaurant, you know, whatever form it takes, that's where the product gets sold to the consumer. And then the final step is us, the consumer, the person who eats the final product. They went through that entire chain. That's my favorite step. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> so, so yeah, so that's the entire uh, food supply chain from start to finish where all of our food goes. And unless the food is sold on the farm that it is produced on every bit of food that we consume in in the entire country goes through that entire process that that makes sense um i can i can follow those steps (laughs) so that's kind of like our our roadmap we're going to be following as we go through some of some of your questions so that hopefully will, will make things a little bit more clear that way it's not just like well, does McDonald's have to go to this farm and get this thing? Like, no, McDonald's and the farms don't talk at all. The farm talks to the processor, who talks to the packager, who talks to the distributor, who talks to McDonald's, and then they go back up the chain from there. So as I'm sure you can imagine, there is little room for error because of how, you know, it's like a game of telephone. With all those steps, there's a, a chance for somebody to miscommunicate something pretty easily. So there has to be a lot of regulations and inspectors and like all this kind of stuff to make sure it gets properly done every step of the way and so nothing gets messed up because if you have like a foodborne illness outbreak and if you have like e coli or salmonella or something like that they have to go each step up the chain to figure out where it happened before they get all the way back up to the farmer and so like yeah. you know a lot of times you'll have like people saying like oh there's an e coli outbreak the farmer didn't check his lettuce well no it could have happened at any point after after it left the farm you know so you have to go all the way back up the chain backwards to figure out where it happened and then you evaluate it from there but that's a whole side point yeah. Well, it definitely seems like every few years there's a food that we have issues with. Like I remember a few years ago, there was a thing with tomatoes and mm-hmm. like no restaurants had tomatoes. And it was like, I don't remember why it was just like, t- tomatoes are bad this time. Like we can't, <laughs> we can't have them. You get them later. I was like, okay, I don't <laughs> like tomatoes anyway. <laughs> yeah. So that, yeah, I mean, that I think that I think there was an E. coli outbreak with tomatoes, but I mean, there was the romaine lettuce outbreak, which I don't know if that, I think that was a national thing. It was at least in California, um, oh. but there was a massive romaine lettuce outbreak. They've had like Chipotle has had several E. coli outbreaks. Um, it happens all the time. It's you know, not yeah. all the time that it happens frequently enough that we have measures in place to prevent it. And those measures involve going up and down that ladder to try to figure out where it happened. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's why it's important to, to understand how the ladder works, right? So that being said, man, I'm going to run out of breath today. <laughs> uh, 
so going back to that, that first question of whether or not fast food restaurants have their own farms. So like we mentioned, they don't, but there is a certain level of specialization that the certain fast food restaurants can have. So to give you an example, I actually got to tour a slaughterhouse one time. And it was really cool. I got to see all the carcasses hanging. I got to see how they do all the cutting and everything. Not Your definition of cool is different than mine. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, not everyone will find that cool. Um, it's understandably a, a little bit horrifying, but for someone who has an appreciation for meat science, it is kind of cool from, from my perspective. But um, <laughs> but yeah, so one of the things I found really interesting in there was a lot of the you know, the hanging, you know, cows, bulls, steers, all that kind of stuff. Um, they had tags on them for where they were going. Like one said in and out one said McDonald's, one said Wendy's. So it's not necessarily that those cows came from a dairy or, or a beef ranch that's dedicated to that restaurant. They said that restaurant goes into that slaughterhouse after the processing is done and says, you know what, I'm going to take this one, this one, and this one. And then they mark them for those restaurants. And then after the cuts are done, that's where they know where to go. Okay. So that's interesting. Yeah. I, so all the restaurants kind of have the same, like they're going to the same place for their cows. They're just picking out different ones. Yeah. For the most part. I mean, you know, they, they all have kind of an equal chance. Um, in and out does get priority in certain areas because they have like the whole, like never frozen fresh beef thing. Um, okay. so restaurants that have that standard, they have certain prior priority over others in, in certain instances, but yeah. So like they, they all get kind of like an equal share of, of everything. And it doesn't just come from one farm. Like I said, it comes from farms all over the U S it's kind of whoever's closest to that particular restaurant is where they, where they get most of their product from. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So that's the first part. Um, and then what was, the, Oh, so the next thing you had was, uh, you know, whether or not some of the farms grow the same product for everything. So like, you know, does the guy who grows the grain for the buns also grow like the lettuce or your pickles or whatever? Right. So I'm sorry. Is, is there anything you wanted to add to that or? No, I'm, I'm just, I'm curious. Like I know, like I've, I've heard of crop rotation, which, mm-hmm. you know, you, you grow a crop and then you grow a different crop because it like uses different nutrients or, you know, something along those lines. I don't understand exactly why, but I've heard of it. Um, I think you've explained it to me before in more detail than I was able to just uh, say. But um, so I know farms do grow different crops, but I don't know to what extent or how they choose how versatile they're going to be. So the way that crop rotation works, and this is going to be a little bit of a, of a side note, but crop rotation is mostly to preserve soil health and also mm-hmm. to keep in touch with seasons because you know some some crops obviously aren't going to grow all season long. They're or, uh, all year long. They're going to be seasonal. Um, so if you're growing like you know, let's just say you're growing cotton in the fall, I yeah, cotton in the fall, and you know it gets into winter and your cotton crops are all gone and you don't have anything else to grow, then, you know, you might want to plant some strawberries or something like that, which, you know, it, 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 strawberries are a summer crop. That was just a, an example, but, um, you know, you, you mostly plant to keep up with the season. So you have something in the ground. And also, like you mentioned, so a, let's just say cotton is taking all the nitrogen out of the soil. You're placing it with a crop that doesn't take nitrogen that takes phosphorus or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that way you're not leaching the soil and, and potentially hurting the, the environment that way. Um, so that's the main purpose of crop rotation. But in regards to the fast food question, uh, most of the producers that are going to be growing like the lettuce and the cucumbers for the pickles and the tomatoes and onions and all that sort of things. 
most of them are going to be monocroppers. So they don't necessarily have like a lettuce field over here and a tomato field over there. It's more like they're going to have like one tomato field. And then depending on the crop, because some of those crops might be able to be interchanged, you know, from season to season, they might switch over. But it's not like you're going to have, like, like we mentioned earlier, the, the farmer's not going to be specialized to like, yeah, I grow all the lettuce for the McDonald's on the West Coast. And then in the spring, I grow all the tomatoes for the McDonald's on the West Coast. It's more like they have a bunch of different farms that grow different commodities and they might switch off throughout the year, depending on the season. And then that's how they get their supply for, um, for like the McDonald's and that sort of thing. Okay. That's, that's completely reasonable. That does, that does kind of lead me into one of, one of the questions that I had 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 to do with seasons. Cause I know, you know, certain crops only grow in certain seasons or grow better. And yet if I go to McDonald's, I get the exact same burger year round. Mm-hmm um how do <laughs> <laughs> so that, that i was waiting for that that's a really good question um it's something that it's something that a lot of people tend to uh i guess overlook when it comes to the food uh production process um i mean i work in a grocery store that only sells food grown by my college and people are like why don't you have this crop it's like well because that crop only grows in the spring and it is almost december And they're like, they don't have this idea that, you know, seasons are a thing because in a lot of fast food restaurants and grocery stores and that sort of thing, all the food that that they have there that is available year round comes from different countries. So we import, you know, food from Mexico, from Canada, um, from Japan, you know, from, from all these different countries. So we can maintain a healthy food supply when we don't have those crops available during that season. So that explains the, the availability in terms of seasonality. In terms of the quality, that's a different issue. Okay. So, yeah. sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, so in terms of the quality, so you have like, obviously like, you know, they're available year round because you, you can import them. But the United States has very strict uh, food safety standards. And with that, we have very strict quality standards for specific instances of food. So like, for example, our beef production, um, this might actually come, kind of has a shock as, as a Wisconsinian. What do you guys call Wisconsinite. Wisconsinite. Ah, I like that. That's cool. Um, this actually might come as a shock, but most of the, uh, beef and, you know, and, and, you know, patties that are used for fast food cheeseburgers come from dairy cows. Oh yeah. That does surprise (laughs) me. Yeah. So a lot of people were like, well, you know, we, we, we must produce a lot of beef for all the McDonald's in, in the country. It's like, well, we produce a lot of cows, but not all of them are beef. We actually have quite a few dairy cows that are used for all that because most dairy cows actually, even like a lot of like smaller, like chain restaurant, not smaller, but like less like high dollar chain restaurants, like Chili's or like, you know, some, some of those types of restaurants that like have steak and burgers and that sort of thing. Even their steaks are usually like dairy cow um, meat just because it's really easy to produce. It's always the same quality. So like, you know how we have like quality grades, like select choice, prime, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So dairy cows always grade choice, which is the average meat grade. That's what you want. Um, prime is good, but it's way too expensive. You all, all, almost always want choice just for the price. Yeah. Well, dairy cows are always choice because that's just because of their age and because of you know their meat quality and because of how consistently we fatten them up to make them good milkers. They're almost always, or they are always considered choice. So they're always going to have the same quality beef. And that's how we can consistently get that, you know, that same taste no matter what McDonald's you go to across the entire country. Huh. That's, that's, that's very interesting to me. Cause yeah, I wouldn't have, 
I guess I would have assumed that some beef was dairy cow because, you know, you might as well when it's done producing milk, it's still meat at the end of the day, but not the majority of it. Like, um, mm-hmm. especially because like you can you can get a lot more milk out of one cow than you can get beef out of like each cow has exactly one cow worth of meat. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, where, that's accurate. Yeah, where you get, you get a couple... I, I mean, I guess I have no idea how many milkings you get out of a single cow, but I'm guessing it's more than one. Like, it, it is quite a few. I mean, it depends on the cow, but it is yeah. usually quite a few. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, if you think about it this way, cows get milked uh, two to three times a day, every day for their entire lives. And they live to be about seven or eight. Well, in Stardew Valley, you can only milk them once a day. This is true. And that's <laughs> that that is one of my gripes with Stardew Valley is they don't have accurate milking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> with, with with that, you know, I have uh, perfectly depicted all of my farming knowledge. Uh, <laughs> we can carry on. Uh, and I, I do love Stardew Valley. I wanted an episode on it soon, but that is one of the things I wanted to cover is like the, the inaccuracies of its of its farming. But mm-hmm. anyways, that's an episode for another, another day. Um, but yeah, so where were we talking about? Oh, quality. So yeah, the quality remains consistent because for one, we can always have um, food that's of consistent quality because of, of, you know, United States standards. We just have a specific standard that we have for food for each of the types of, you know, crops we're putting into like a fast food cheeseburger. So like the lettuce, the pickles, the onions, all that kind of stuff, they have a standard that they have to meet to be able to be sold in the restaurant. So that tends to be the main reason why it's so consistent with quality is because if it's not if it's any worse and they won't you know they won't feed it to us and if it's any better they usually won't pay for it because it'll usually come at a higher cost yeah that that makes sense um basically you go with the best option at the lowest cost that you can get consistently right yeah so and then what was there was another one that was going to Oh, so, and one of the other questions you had, you, which I think we already kind of covered this, you asked like, how does a dairy become fast food specialized? Um, so we talked about it from the, uh, from the restaurant point of view, how, you know, they don't have specific farms, but from the farmer point of view, farms don't have specific end goals. So, I mean, some of them do, but, um, most farms don't have like, you know, like you wouldn't be a dairyman with the intention of like, yeah, all my cheese or all my milk goes into cheese that is sent to Wendy's, you know, like that's just not really a, uh, like, like a consistent goal for farmers. Typically what they do is they join what's called an LLC, which I don't know if you, if you're familiar with LLCs or not. Vaguely, um, <laughs> you can go ahead and explain it anyway. Cause maybe some of your listeners are curious. <laughs> good. That's a, that's a good idea. <laughs> so an LLC is called a, a limited liability company. Um, basically it's a really, really big company that, owns a bunch of little companies and it doesn't own them and more like has a has a contract with them so those little companies can like do a thing that benefits the big company and the big company does all like the business trading and stuff um so like i'm trying i think disney is technically considered an llc because of all the other companies that are underneath it okay but, but disney owns all those companies so i'm not sure if that's a different thing um so one of, one of the examples that i would go with is which again i don't know like I, I always get confused on what's just California and what's like nationwide. So some of my examples might be a little specific to my area, um, but Land O'Lakes. Okay. Have you, have you heard of Land? Or does, do you guys have Land O'Lakes out there? I think so. Yeah. Okay. 
uh, just making sure because I that's that's a really big thing in, in California. Like most of like California dairy farmers are either part of Land Lakes or they're part of California dairies. Um, yeah, some of them are part of like Top of the Morn and stuff, but like that's a different thing. Um, so Land Lakes is a good example of an LLC. It's a massive company that um, basically is like a feeder for all of the different like dairies that are that have contracts with it. So those dairymen basically produce milk at you know the consistent rate that they can to comply with the contract because basically they sign a contract saying I'll produce at least this much milk per year and I will give it to you. And so they give the LLC all of their milk. The LLC can then do whatever they want with that milk. So they may sell it to a company like Cisco, which can then sell it to McDonald's. They may process it into cheese and then sell it to a different company that can sell it to like Wendy's. They can do whatever they want from that point on. But the LLC does all of the business tree and the farmers don't have to mess with that. And the primary advantage for that, because not all farmers do that, but there are quite a few that do. Um, and the main advantage for it is because prices are constantly changing, right? I mean, like markets are always in flux. Um, it might be like, you, know, you have a really good year for dairy and then out of nowhere, all of the dairy market just comes, you know, collapsing down and like dairy, dairymen are making no money whatsoever, right? Right. So LLCs basically account for that and fix it. So um, if dairymen are, you know, a part of an LLC, they might be able to give all of their product for, you know, to the, to the, the company and then the company will pay, that dairyman a consistent price for it. So if it's a really bad year, the dairyman can count on not being in the gutter because he's getting that consistent price no matter how low the markets go. Only problem is the reverse is also true. If it's a really good year, he doesn't get those benefits because he's locked into a contract that restricts the price that he can get for his milk. Okay. I mean, that that makes sense. I mean, it kind of feels like it has some overlap with insurance. Like it's... it's... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sometimes you benefit, sometimes you don't, and you just kind of assume that in the end, you're going to pretty much break even from it. Yeah. And that, uh, that's, that's the basic idea of it. it basically just gives the farmers insurance. You know, it's like market insurance. It's to make sure that, you know, no matter how bad the economy is, they'll still be okay. Yeah. Um, so with that, the LLCs are often part of the reason why a lot of their milk, like a lot of those farmers aren't specialized towards a, a specific uh, end goal. They're specialized towards a specific you know, contract for their company. So like some farmers focus on fluid milk versus some that focus on cheese versus some that focus on butter, you know, all of those things are specialized for the farmers. And that's why they choose like certain breeds versus others, you know, Holstein versus jerseys. Um, but at the end of the day, they don't have their cows with the intention of sending that product to like a McDonald's or to like a Burger King. They send it to the company and the company does all the business from there. So that's kind of the, the farmer side of it. Okay. That's, um, yeah, that, that makes sense to me. Okay. Um, yeah. And then there was another one on here. Um, oh, yeah. So uh, we covered that one. Uh, we covered the cheese one, I think. You know, we <laughs> talking about... <laughs> I told you, I have a list. I, ha- I have all your stuff. For- I wanted to cover this properly. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I, uh, I kind of just sent you a list of uh, uh, smattering of different questions <laughs> um, dealing with the process and how it all comes together. And um, it's it's been a lot of interest. One, one of the things that wasn't on the list, but I feel like we've, we've touched on, maybe skirted around, but not um, specifically said, is that at what point does it become, say, like a McDonald's beef patty because so you've got the farm processing packaging distributor realtor mm-hmm. uh or retailer um so is it like 
McDonald's is now in charge of like processing and forward or distributing and forward, like where do they kind of stake their claim and now everything is done through the restaurant as opposed to um, by like the individual companies along the way? That's a really good question. Um, I think it depends on the restaurant, like for McDonald's specifically, I would say it probably uh, happens at the like distributor level because the distributor like i mentioned is the truck driver but it can also mean like that like that llc that that sends it off to you know the different retailers and that sort of thing that's like uh you have like um like crop brokers so people who uh do a lot of like broking and stuff like that for different different agricultural commodities mm-hmm. um that's the kind of stuff that that might fall into so like right before that retailer step you know either on like the the distributor or like maybe even the processor level for some restaurants but i think for mcdonald's it's more like they have the overarching company that is producing all of this stuff and then they sell it down to the distributor which might be like your cisco like your you know like the the supplier companies and then they are the ones that sell it to mcdonald's so technically i don't think it becomes a mcdonald's property ingredient until it reaches the store pretty much until you know until mcdonald's buys it from whatever the larger company is that's selling it interesting okay that's i mean that's again it's um fast food and especially the fast food cheeseburger is kind of the staple like quick easy food um Mm. but it's it's really not (laughs) um which is you know kind of kind of why i'm curious about so much of this yeah and i know that so one of the other things that we t- that we kind of touched on but didn't go into exactly, but you know, like one of one of the things was like you know how many acres of land are dedicated to just fast food tomatoes. So like we mm-hmm. mentioned, like farms aren't specialized specifically for like fast food tomatoes, so the answer would technically be zero. Um, but there is a like if you look at you know as a total how much of agriculture contributes to fast food because as you mentioned, it is you know the easy you know the easy product to to get your hands on for food and right. it's, like, it's fast and it's cheap and all this kind of stuff there's so much of agriculture that gets contributed just to fast food and just restaurants in general that it's like kind of crazy that people, you know, people don't realize how much work goes in behind the scenes. Yeah, I, I would imagine. So do, do we have any like numbers, like a percent of um, food that goes into fast food specifically, or I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm kind of curious, like how many cows a day an individual McDonald's, goes through (laughs) but i kind of didn't want to ask that question specifically because i also kind of don't want to know (laughs) so i asked about tomatoes instead i mean that that is a an interesting question to say in the least um i i I can't seem to find any numbers on exactly how much food that's like produced in the u.s goes into fast food because the other problem with that Mm -hmm. is you know like we mentioned earlier a lot of it is coming from out of country so there's a lot of yeah crossover with that um, there's a lot of stuff on how much people spend on fast food, but that's a whole different issue. Yeah. Um, no, but I mean, in terms of like, you know, how many cows a, a, a McDonald's would go through, you'd be surprised how much meat is on a single cow. So it, it might not be as much as you might think. I mean, it's still going to be a lot. Don't get me wrong. It is a lot. Um, yeah. but one of the big things, so I know you mentioned that, you know, it's like, it, it's a, it's a $2 sandwich that includes, you know, just like days and days worth of processing and like months of, of cultivating and, you know, tons of work putting into all these different, like it's got live animals in it. It's got 
you know, all these different crops. Like it's got so much, you know, so many international travel. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There, there's so many intricate things going into this single sandwich that it can't just be two bucks and be that easy. Right. Right. So on that front, I will say a lot of the reason why it's so cheap and so easy and so efficient is because for one, when fast food was invented, it was kind of like a, everyone was like, Psh, yeah, that's not going to take off. And then it did. Um, and when it took off, there were a lot of innovations to the actual production that made it really efficient and really easy so like you know the actual creation of the cheeseburgers at mcdonald's they use like almost like a model t style assembly line um to produce it for a long time and that was like what made it really efficient and because they could produce them so efficiently they were able to find ways to to increase the production of the products efficiently you know it's like kind of a domino effect where there's demand they'll find a way to to increase the supply Mm -hmm. um so one of the big things I would I would suggest keeping me in mind to kind of make some of it make more sense is buying in bulk. So I mean, like, you know, yeah, there's there's a lot of tomatoes that are, are being sent to McDonald's, but because of how many of them they're buying at once, they they are cutting down the price quite a bit. And so that's that gives them the ability to cut down the price for us. Um so or I mean or I mean like you know, whether it be buns or cheese or anything like that. And then as far as like the live animals go, it's such a small fraction of a live animal that it really isn't going to be all that much money. Um, so like, for example, all of the, all of the meat that, you know, makes up like cheeseburgers and that sort of thing is going to be mostly ground beef and ground beef is a lot of leftover meat that comes from a cow. And there's a lot of ground beef on a single cow. I mean, let's just say we take one cat, like this is just to give you an example. So a full grown steer, you know, a beef, you know, a beef animal, um, is about 1200 pounds, give or take, uh, might be more, might be less kind of depends on, on the, the steer, but if it's sitting at 1200 pounds and it's slaughtered and it has average dressing weight and it, you know, has all that, you know, it, it gives off the average amount of meat. It would have enough meat on it to feed a family of five for an entire year. Oh, Wow. So I, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of forget how big cows are and like, right. yeah, and when it comes to ground beef, like any, anything that's uh, cow meat can go into that as opposed to like, you know, your, your prime steaks and stuff like that. But right. It's still, I don't know. It's, it's still like a whole cow. <laughs> no, I no. feel bad that a cow died for $2, but I guess he died for a large amount of $2. Right. No. And I, I definitely, you know, I, I see where we're coming from, but you know, if you think about it, like that one burger is probably like, you know, of, of all the meat that that one cow produced, that one burger was probably only like maybe like 80 cents of the whole thing. Like it's really yeah. not, enough to to justify it being more money and because of how quickly they could produce it and because again it's lower quality like if these were like you know prime level you know beef animals that they were butchering then maybe the, there'd be a conversation to have an increase in price but i mean it's it's just like your old cows that are done milking for you know for the rest of their lives they they get turned to a hamburger it gets a little bit cheaper with with that idea yeah so yeah all right i can accept that i guess <laughs> so when you said when you said 1200 now i'm not I'm not the world's smartest person. My math might be completely wrong here. But even if you assume half of that is parts that we don't eat, you know, guts, bones, mm-hmm. um, you know, the the steak that's getting picked from first, and you say there's 600 bu- uh, pounds of, of ground beef, that's, if I'm not mistaken, about 2,400 quarter pounders, <laughs> right? Because a, a quarter pounder would, yeah, you'd get 
four yeah. four of those out. So it's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> once <laughs> once you divide that up into that much meat from one steer now. I don't know if my half is a good assumption or not, but I figure it's at least a starting point. So, so your average beef animal, and this is, again, we're, we're talking about like beef. If we're talking dairy cows, it's a, it's a different story, but sure. just, you know, going with your hypothetical, your average beef steer is going to have a dressing percentage of about 62. So that basically means of all of the weight of the entire animal, only 62% of it is usable meat. Okay. So like if we, you know, take off the head and the legs and like, you know, like, like you mentioned the organs, cause like the organs still get used, but they're used for like other stuff in different countries. Right. Like we, we don't use them for our stuff. Um, but like all of that, you know, like, like spinal cord and the brain, cause we can't eat that cause it's illegal. Um, all that kind of stuff. When you get left with like just the meat and you know, like the muscle that's left over. So like mm-hmm. if it's 1200, you know, pounds and you get 62% of it, that's 744 pounds right there. Yeah. Yeah, and which so, is a lot of quarter pounders. It is a lot of quarter pounders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like that's like probably close to, to 3,000 quarter pounders. Right. So yeah. which I mean, I, I'd be willing to bet that they probably sell probably close to that in a day, I would assume. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to guess what, you know, <laughs> even an individual McDonald's goes through in a day, much the less like the whole the whole kit and caboodle. So but yeah. Yeah. You get um, a lot of cheeseburgers out of one cow. <laughs> That's what I've learned today. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, I was a bit mistaken. Okay. So this is, okay. This is on McDonald's as a whole though. Mm-hmm. Um, so worldwide McDonald's sells 50 million hamburgers a day. My goodness. But that's, 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 so many. that's every McDonald's combined though. That's not like an individual. Right. But still, like that's a lot of burgers. It's a lot of burgers. <laughs> so that's if a we lot were, of cows. If we were to say those were those were all, you know, quarter pounders. So, mm-hmm. um, let's see. So so one cow or one beef animal, and we're being a little bit generous here, but right, one beef animal can can surmount about three thousand quarter pounders, right? Mm-hmm. So we're gonna do some some really important math here. Um, so that's about almost 17,000 beef animals a day a day for McDonald's for yeah just for McDonald's alone that's not counting every other fast food restaurant but that that is worldwide that's so many cows how do we have that many cows we have a lot of cows (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm surprised by the number of cows that are in the world that we can go through that many a day for one freaking restaurant chain. So just to let you know, as of 2020 in the United States alone, we have 93.8 million cows. Well, we're not going to have that many if we keep up eating all these burgers. (laughs) So yeah, so that's, I mean, for one worldwide. So we're, we're getting producers from other countries as well. It's not just the United States, right. um, but a lot of it is going to be United States. So that's the primary you know, location for it. Um, and second of all, that's using dairy cows. That's not just beef cattle. So um, we're able to produce a lot. And those are not like, you know, it's not like we're just like pulling calves off the ranch to produce. And these are like old cows. They're like getting ready to die anyways. And it's not to say like they're, you know, their meat's bad because they're getting ready to die, but it's just like we, you know, right. put them out of their misery, take them, take them to McDonald's and boom, now we have quarter pounders, <laughs> which sounds terrible. But yeah, if you think about it from a numbers perspective, it makes a lot more sense that way. Yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah. So I, I did have some, some 
uh, names to, or not names, but like some information on like the anat- the anatomy of a cheeseburger and kind of where all of it comes from. Oh, that's awesome. So the, uh, most of my stuff is for McDonald's specifically because it's most, you know, it's the most easy one. By the way, I yeah. forgot to mention this earlier. I'm not sponsored by McDonald's. So I hope this didn't come off as a sponsorship deal, but I feel I like love- this episode has made it clear that we are not sponsored <laughs> by McDonald's. I would hope so. But Hey, if McDonald's is listening and they would like to sponsor me, I will always accept that. I will take yeah. my payment in the form of quarter pounders, but 50 million a day. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Um, yeah. So the buns, for example, come from a supplier called uh, Mrs. Brechter's food specialties. So that's like one of those like Cisco type companies that buys the food from like the companies that get, gets it from the dairies. Okay. Well, not the dairies, but you know what I mean? Like the, the grain farmers. Um, yeah. So they all get their, or yeah, most of the fast food restaurants actually get their buns from that same supplier. So they're just kind of like the big supplier for buns, in, in the United States. Um, the patties come from just dairies around the U S there's not like a, a specific supplier. Like I mentioned, it's like a couple of those different LLCs. They kind of sell them to different companies. Um, so that same goes for the cheese. They all just kind of come from dairies around the U S they don't have a specific supplier. It could be craft singles for all I know. Um, I couldn't find anything on that <laughs> specifically, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was, I feel like if it were, it would probably be advertised as such. Like I feel, yeah. A, I feel like you'd have um, to like a cross promotion sort of right. a thing. Like when you got craft singles, it would say make McDonald's at home. And yeah. McDonald's would be like the taste of home in your restaurant. Like, yeah. Yeah. But, I can see that. So maybe, maybe it's not craft singles. Maybe it's just like a similar formula. Cause it does taste uh, like it. Yeah. Um, and then I found this kind of interesting. So a lot of fast food restaurants, especially lately are just trying to market towards uh, just getting their lettuce and tomatoes from greenhouses specifically. Interesting. Why is that um, significant or important? I, if I had to guess, it's because there's this whole idea that if it's grown in a greenhouse, it's a lot more like holistic and it, you know, it's a lot safer and it's a lot healthier, which isn't very well backed by anything. I mean, like yeah. the only, the only advantage to growing in a greenhouse is you can like basically regulate the environment yourself. But in terms of like the actual like product, there's really no difference. So I'm not sure why, but yeah, a lot of like McDonald's, Del Taco, uh, Wendy's, like some of those companies are like marketing now that they're only selling lettuce and tomatoes that have been grown in greenhouses for some reason. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Huh. Yeah, I guess it is. Um, I couldn't find a supplier for onions or mustard. I kind of, I kept looking around and like, there wasn't a whole lot of information. So I guess they just get it from like a general supplier maybe. Okay. And then ketchup, a lot of them actually make their own ketchup with their tomatoes. Some of them get it from like the store, you know, like Heinz or, you know, anything like that. That that makes sense. Well, the the idea that they make their own makes sense because a lot of times it's the sauces that kind of distinguish burgers between places. So Mm -hmm. like making their own ketchup or making their own mustard or barbecue sauce or whatever, like that, that would make more sense to me. Um, Yeah. I would. Agree. I know. Like, there's also because I know some fast food places. Like, when you get French fries, you get the little paper cup and you squirt mystery ketchup into a container. <laughs> right. um, but others, you get like the little plastic peel back, and sometimes those will actually say like Heinz or whatever on them. So I would think whatever their French fry ketchup is is probably the same as what they'd put on their burgers. I would say that's that's probably true. Yeah. 
And then their bacon has several different sources. They don't have like a specific bacon source. It's kind of like the patties and cheese. It just comes from, you know, pork producers around the country. And then here's what I found kind of interesting, though. The pickles do not come from the United States. Like never? Uh, not very many. So okay. at least for McDonald's, I couldn't find a whole lot for other restaurants, but for McDonald's specifically, their supplier is from Australia and it's one guy and his name is Tony Parl. One, one guy, all <laughs> one the guy grows all the pickles for McDonald's. <laughs> I really want to believe that it's literally one guy. Like I'm sure it's <laughs> one person that has, you know, multiple workers, yeah, tons of but farms. no, I'm just, I'm just picturing one guy like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gotta like, get like my pickles the mcdonald's execs just like fly over on this massive private jet and like they just land and they're just like this guy sitting there with overalls with his pickles growing he's like ah oh, you're back for more see now i feel like if i were a fast food restaurant i would be promoting like the taste the globe sort of you know like right. we've got australian pickles we've got mexican tomatoes we've got you know french bread like whatever wherever you get it from like i would think that that would actually be a really cool like i could see it as an ad i could see it as like a we're sourcing the best things from around the globe but right like i think that'd be such a cool idea yeah um i know that so the uh del taco actually does something similar to that um on their window i don't know how often you go to go to del taco um no i don't i don't even know if del taco is around here oh I love not positive. Um, I do I do Taco Bell, but that's not the same. <laughs> no, definitely not. I prefer Del Taco. People are probably going to sue me for that because I am actually not that big of a fan of Taco Bell. But that's beside the point. And that was before I found out how its meat is made. But anyways, um, I don't want you to finish that sentence. <laughs> it's not bad. It's it's just not great. Um, but anyway, so with Del Taco. Uh, Whenever you go through the drive-thru and like go up to like their, their uh, like window, they actually have a little sign next to it that says um, the avocados used today were grown in this county, in this state. Oh, yeah. So I think that's really cool. Having like a little like, yeah, we get our avocados locally. We get it from this county and like, you know, here's the producer for it. And like uh, having that little shout out is just, I think it's really cool. Yeah, I think so too. Like it, it gives a shout out to the farmers. It makes people feel good about you know, who they're supporting, that it's mm-hmm. fresh, that it's, um, and yeah, it's just kind of a neat little piece of trivia. It's also like, yeah. if you're like, I, I am not a food connoisseur. Like I, I put the food in my mouth. I chew, I swallow. I don't, <laughs> I don't pay attention to whatever I just ate, but there are a lot of people that like, Oh, the avocados seemed a little, I don't know, stale today or a little too soft today. And if, mm-hmm. if they find themselves particularly enjoying it to be able to check and be like, Oh, this place makes avocados that I like. Like I there, there's a lot of people that I know that would appreciate that. I I can't tell quality. I just eat. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm in the same boat, but I definitely agree. I mean, and another one is Five Guys. Five Guys is the same thing with their potatoes for their which I love their fries. I don't know if you've ever had Five Guys. I haven't. I have a coworker that consistently tells me that they have the best fries, and I just haven't uh been there yet. So they sh- are the best, but I can't eat them because they break my wallet. Um, they are very expensive, but they're really, really good. And I used to have one right next to my apartment, which was dangerous until it closed down. Um, I used to eat there way more than I probably should have. 
(laughs) (laughs) But anyways, they, they do something very similar, which I really like, which is they advertise where their potatoes are from. They have like a big old like sack of potatoes just sitting in the middle of their restaurant. And it has like a, these potatoes were harvested in this County in Idaho or whatever. And I was like, that's really cool. Like I get to know where my potatoes are from. That's awesome. I, yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. So I think that, you know, kind of like you were saying more restaurants should do that. They should have like a, even if it's not like, you know, eating around the globe kind of advertisement, at least say like, yeah, the, you know, the fries that we're using today are, you know, from potatoes that were grown in this County or, you know, the, the patties that you're eating today came from these dairies or, you know, like stuff like that. I think that'd be really yeah. cool. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So, um, I thought that was, I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, that's kind of the breakdown that I was able to find of like, at least like the anatomy of the cheeseburger, how like all those different things. And as we go back to the supply chain, you can now go back. Okay. So the producer of the lettuce sent it to the processor where it got cleaned and they got packaged. You know, you can like see where everything starts to connect. It's like this massive web of things that all go to one restaurant. Right. Yeah. It's not as simple as like the restaurant has all these things in place for it's more like there's a lot of producers that are like, Hey, I need somewhere to give my pickles to, or I need somewhere to sell my lettuce to, or, you know, and like McDonald's is like, Hey, we need help over here. I'll, I'll buy your stuff from you. And then like somebody steps in and says, well, let's make sure you have everything you need. And if the, if the market crashes, you don't get, you know, kind of washed up in it. And so like right. there, there's a lot of things in place that allow both the producer and the eventual retailer to benefit from that interaction without having to ever actually interact with each other. Well, I, I really appreciate the explanation because like I said, this is something that I've, I've thought about occasionally, Hmm. but never enough to actually try to look into it myself. And there's, there's so much involved in it that like trying to look into it as an individual, I think would be very overwhelming. Um, And, you know, everybody just says like, oh, well they do it because they buy in bulk. And it's like, well, there has to be more to it than that. And there, there definitely is. And it's been really, (laughs) really interesting. Um, getting to understand it a bit better yeah well of course i mean i it's it's something I'm, I'm really excited to talk about because the the food supply chain is something that a lot of people tend to i don't know if necessarily ignore is the right word but maybe just not even realize it's there and yeah. you know the the amount of inspection that goes into it and the amount of because you know the united states has one of the safest food supplies of any country in the world because we have very strict regulations on how good our food is in terms of quality and, and safety in in terms of like you know, how it's produced, how the producers get to get benefits from it, you know, the, the entire supply chain, like there's so much that goes into producing food, not just for fast food, but just in general, you know, for, for people to be able to consume that it's just like having an awareness of that gives you a new, a new appreciation for how much work goes into your food. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's, um, I mean, your, your show is kind of all about this. I think it's good to consider once in a while and to, um, yeah, appreciate and value and, Honestly, every time you eat a McDonald's cheeseburger, it's, it's kind of like eating a miracle. Like there's, (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, the idea that we live in a universe that, that can be a thing. Like it's, it's pretty remarkable. Mankind has come together to do a lot of different things. And even something as simple, quote unquote, simple as a cheeseburger is a a pretty amazing feat of human um, cooperation and ingenuity. Yes, I agree. And I, have you heard like the thing where it's like they say, you know, the the astronomical percentage of, of a chance that you 
were born like you know that all the genes lined up perfectly that you know like your parents met and like like it basically that everything like the stars aligned perfectly in, in the instance that you were born is mm-hmm. so like the the chances of it are so low that it's a miracle that you're even alive today yeah it's the same kind of thing with a McDonald's cheeseburger. Exactly. <laughs> you are exactly as miraculous as a McDonald's cheeseburger. And you should value yourself. Put that on much. a t-shirt. <laughs> Actually, don't. That's my new merch idea. Yeah. I mean, really, it's like saying you're one in 50 billion each day. Like, yes. Or 50 million. 50 each million. Day. But still, that's pretty good. I'll take one in 50 yeah. million. Yeah, it's way better than one in a million. And exactly. that's every single day. Like however many days you're alive, man, you, you did great. <laughs> right. Like just think about how many, how many things have to go right for a McDonald's cheeseburger to exist. And you think right. that your life is difficult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you're probably not getting eaten at the end of it. Exactly. <laughs> no, I did have one more story I wanted to close out with before we, before we start wrapping up here. Yeah, please. This gives a perfect example of just why just how important this whole system is and why it works the way it does so i don't remember when this was i want to say it was like 2018 maybe it was a few years ago now this guy by the name of andy george i don't know if you if you've heard this story or not um basically decided he wanted to make his own blt he wanted to make a sandwich but he wanted to make it from scratch i mean like absolute scratch he wanted to raise all the crops for it get the animal you know milk the you know he got a cow he milked the cow he like you know made his own cheese he processed everything himself like in his house like he from start to finish produced everything that needed to be produced to create the sandwich it cost him $1,500 for all of the resources. And he said it was the worst tasting sandwich he's ever had. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, so. you know, there, there's a reason people specialize and uh, we trust the experts to do it for us in a lot of situations. Yes. Um, and I mean, it's, it goes back to what we were talking about. I mean, like he had all of these, you know, like, he butchered a pig just to get the bacon for it. And he had all this leftover meat from the pig. Like it took him six months to grow the wheat and to grow the lettuce and to grow to bake. Like he, everything right. that he produced, it took him all this time and, you know, $1,500 to produce one sandwich that was not even that good. When we are producing 50 million sandwiches that are really good with an insane amount of work going into it. And that yeah. kind of, you know, that kind of scales just how, how massive this project is. And it also explains a little bit about the price because I mean, like when you're paying that much for all of those things, it makes sense. But if you're paying for like just a small fraction of all of those things for one sandwich, then that starts to add up a little bit more. I will say there's probably not another human being alive that appreciates a good BLT as much as that man though. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yes. I, w- I would say you're probably right in that. Yeah. No, but yeah, that, I think that's, I mean, that was kind of the big, you know, I think you, is he like a, it's like a coach or something like that. He, I, I, just, I just looked him up. He's, I, I think he's famous. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure he is. Fame comes in many different degrees and me knowing a person's name is not one of them because there's a lot of uh, big name people that people say their names and I'm like, I don't, who? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but okay. I know who Brendan Black is. So, yes, you know. That, and that's all that matters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Okay, so here it is. He's oh, that makes more sense. Um, this was in 2015. He was a he's a YouTuber, which explains way too much. Um, 
And yeah, so he, he's from Minneapolis, he's in, uh, from Minneapolis and yeah, he's spent $1,500 in six months to produce a BLT that was not that good. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that, uh-huh. that wraps up all of the things I had. Did you have any other questions or, or, you know, anything else you wanted to discuss in terms of that topic? I, I don't think so. I mean, you, you answered, um, I think every single question that I posed to you, uh, when we initially contacted each other and, um, elaborated and, made everything clear and wonderful. Um, so this is, this has just been a lot of fun and an absolute pleasure to get to talk to you again. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really happy to have you back on. I mean, it was definitely a lot of fun for me. Like when, <laughs> when you proposed the topic, I was like, Oh, this will be interesting. I, I actually have to do research again. <laughs> I, I like, I was actually excited to like get to do research on a topic for an episode. Oh, and awesome. it was super fun. Like I, I was like writing notes on it. I was like, huh, I didn't know that. That's really like, I learned a lot of things doing this. So it was really cool. Awesome. Yeah. When I proposed the topic, I was like, oh, he's going to be mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a good, I mean, 20 it was questions very... that are mostly unrelated to each other. Have fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was a very complex topic. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. I think I did a half okay job explaining everything. You did a wonderful job. Thank you. Awesome. Well, I'm glad I was able to help. So Thanks again so much, Joanne, for for coming back on. It's always a pleasure. And I know that you may be stepping down from your microphone soon, but you're always welcome back on this show because you're a a valued guest and a good friend. Thank you. I I hope to be back on again. Definitely. And I'm sure you'll have more wacky questions that's going to make me pull my hair out, but I'm excited for them. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of my brand, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So yeah, I think that kind of wraps everything up. Uh, Do you want to go ahead and remind all the wonderful people where they can find you and anything else you want to promote? Yeah. um, My name is Joanne. My podcast is The Turtle Stack. Um, You can find it pretty much anywhere you find your podcasts. Um, All of my social medias are also under The Turtle Stack. If you want to get in touch with me, best thing to do is email theturtlestack at gmail.com. Like Brendan mentioned, I'm going to be stepping down from doing the podcasting, but there's a lot of episodes that are still up and there to listen to. It's lighthearted, a lot of different guests talking about various topics, um, including Brendan himself talking about agriculture, Star Wars, and livestock um, Mm -hmm. as of tomorrow. So, or livestock behavior specifically. Very, very fun uh, conversations that I've had with him. So yeah, go go and check that out. The Turtle Stack. Awesome. Well, yeah, as, as usual, I'll be putting all your links down in the description and I'll be uh, posting all your stuff everywhere and, and, you know, shouting you out and sharing your episodes because to this day, I, I kind of got, got into this habit of not listening to podcasts for a while. Yours is still one of the few that I listen to despite getting out of the habit of it. Aww, thank you. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's a very fun one. I've always enjoyed it and that's why I promote it to everyone and everyone who's listened to this podcast knows that I'm a big fan of it and that I like getting friends of mine some more attention. So I will definitely be sharing it around as, as as much as I can. Awesome. I really, I really appreciate that. Yeah, of course. So I think that wraps it up for this episode though. So I hope all of you enjoyed and hopefully you learned a thing or two. If you didn't, then I'm going to ask you why you didn't tell me all these things because I would have used a lot of help with this episode. Um, <laughs> but anyways, that wraps it up for us. Um, I hope to get, catch you all next week because this is actually the, I forgot to mention this in the beginning of this episode. This is the first interview of our all-star season though, because we are having all of our favorite guests back on the show. And I was super excited to have Joanne back on. So next week we're having Patrick back. I know you guys love Patrick and we're going to be having all of our favorite guests coming down the pipeline. So I hope you guys are excited for that. 
as much as I am because I'm super stoked. It's been a lot of fun to get back into this again and to have these fun conversations with all these amazing people. So uh, thank you all again so much for tuning in. Hope to catch you all next week. And don't forget, if you ate today, thank a farmer. <laughs>